Our special guest today is an advocate for Latinos in the United States. Jose Antonio Tijerino is the president and CEO of the Hispanic Heritage Foundation for the last 16 years. And among other notable projects, he's responsible for the Hispanic Heritage Awards, presented every year to commemorate the creation of Hispanic Month in America and that honors Latinos. I know you have a busy schedule. Thank you for your time today. And uh, it has been amazing. I, I wish that I would have recorded our prior conversation <laughs> because it was very personal. Yeah, it was very personal. So, but we're we're, we're not we're not going to go into that. Passionate and personal are Passion two very person. important things. To I have, agree with you to 100%. share with yes. new friends. Absolutely, and um, it has been amazing meeting you because we we this is the first time that we meet in person, and it's amazing to get to know someone with a history like yours. I mean. When I read your story that you were born in Nicaragua, mm -hmm. uh, you came to the U.S. when you were six years old. Mm -hmm. You grew up in Washington, D.C. and Illinois. Uh, do I have this right so far? So I came to Washington, D.C. with my mom and dad. And right. it was uh, a great moment because we were together as a family. There was an adjustment period mm -hmm. when they didn't know any better. But mm -hmm. the minute we got here, I was in school the next day. And you didn't speak grade. English. Not a word, which is, a, it, which is God's little <laughs> joke on me that now I, right. Casi no hablo español. Mi primer idioma. So the, you know, it, it, it's a nice twist on it that, that now I'm fighting to keep my Spanish. Um, right. But no, so I didn't speak a word of, of, of English and they put me in school the day after I got here in first grade. Because you don't really have kindergarten, at least at that time in Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And so I was in first grade the next day. Didn't say a word. The teachers would, I remember one teacher, me pellizco, mm -hmm. to see if I was mute. <laughs> and they said, and they left me back. And they would beat on me. In those days you could because they said, oh, he's being um, um, somehow rebellious and he's not talking to us. He's being disrespectful. Right. I just didn't speak a word of English. Right. So um, that was the experience. And I remember the, the, the what I clung to and which I think reverberates in the mission of the organization is I clung to a role model, someone that I identified with who was a not an imaginary friend, right. but in my mind, a real friend. Mm -hmm. even though it was a very famous guy named Roberto Clemente, a, right. a, a baseball player. Mm -hmm. And I wrote about it in an article in Huffington Post when I was trying to explain to my kids, you know, the difficult transition of going into school because they were scared. And I said, this was my experience. So I wrote an article about it on being a little boy and having Roberto Clemente be my comeback to when they were making fun of my accent, to when Your they accent. made fun of my hair, to when they made fun of my name. I had a comeback, the best baseball player in the world at that time. And then, of course, he tragically died saving people from Nicaragua, even though he's Puerto Rican, um, on New Year's on New Year's Eve, when he was trying to save um, the, the earthquake victims in in Nicaragua in the right. in nineteen in you know in the early seventies, um, and then he was in the Hall of Fame. Everything was fine, going swimmingly. My parents were ha then later had some issues. Um, we ended up we used to go back and visit Nicaragua you know, to see family. And unfortunately, civil war broke out, mm -hmm. started breaking out while we were there. So all of a sudden, we had to get out of the country. My mother and sister went to Paraguay. My dad stayed. My brother and I were sent to the nearest family member in the United States. So instead of going back to D.C., where we had assimilated, we appreciated the diversity at that time. Um, suddenly, we were in the middle of rural Illinois. 
-hmm. And it was just the two of us. And living with my aunt and uncle, that didn't quite work out. I can't imagine. I mean, you were very young. And being uprooted from your country and from your parents. And, and from it, our new country. And from, and from your new country. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it must have been diff very difficult. I mean, people don't underestimate what is, you know, there are people that, in, you know, go to another country or they move places because um, of work, of different situations. But you cannot imagine how difficult it is. And at the time, probably when you're a child, you don't realize how much of an impact it has on you when you have to leave a place because of a situation that is out of your control. Well, it's, it's even worse because yeah. I was, you're never more lost or searching mm -hmm. for yourself than you are when you're 15 or 16 years old. Right. And I had to be the parent to my brother. To your brother. Mm -hmm. um, that dynamic of being angst-ridden in general, mm -hmm. being a 15 or 16-year-old, but at the same time, feeling like you don't belong anywhere, right. didn't belong in when I got to Washington, D.C., because we were too, too Nicaraguan. Didn't belong in Nicaragua when we went back there, because now you're too gringo. You're too, right. And now we're going into a rural area where you don't quite belong because you came <laughs> from a city of Washington, D.C., and now you're in rural Illinois. Um, somehow you adapt, and that's yes. the beauty of us Absolutely. as animals, is that mm -hmm. you adapt. And we made it through high school. A lot of times sleeping in a car, a lot of times going over friends' houses and asking, if we can spend the night and then you stay for two weeks and they're like, when are these kids going to get out of here? Then you go to the next friend. And then a, a, a young woman that I was dating asked me, um, her parents asked us to stay with them for the last year. So the last year was kind of idyllic. But during these times, I became very aware of my Latinoness. When I asked the girl to prom, mm -hmm. she said, yes. I went to pick her up. And she said, listen, before you come in, pretend to be Italian. You've got an O at the end of your first name and last name, so I think we can pull <laughs> wow. it off. I became very aware of my Latinoness. And the same thing when I had to, I got in a lot of fights with kids, you know, before you assimilate and then you get accepted. But even then you carry it with you that mm -hmm. this is a form of my identity. I also want to mention too, I've worked a lot with the unaccompanied minors that come from Central America. Um, that are in the news today in, 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 in terms of seeking refuge here in the United States. The, the reunification issue is big. You think that, okay, they made it. They have friends that they can go visit. They have family members that they can now be a part of their family. It's not that no, easy no, 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 to piece people together. Absolutely not. Um, so I just want to be sensitive to that because when I see a lot of these kids that are then sent off to be with some family member because they're from El Salvador or from Guatemala or from Honduras. Um, it's not simple that they get accepted by the cousins and uncles and aunts and wherever, or even their own parents whenever they get reunified. Um, right. So this is what carries forward. I, I always feel as though the DNA, you're born with DNA and then you develop DNA in terms of your experiences in everything that we do. Your empathy that we were talking about, Ava. Absolutely, very important. All of it is part of a, a DNA, the, 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 the defensive posture that one takes, the negativity, all of that is DNA from how you were raised and how do you break out of certain things and how do you latch on to other things? Um, and it's all prevalent 
in everything we do, even when I just met you guys and we had a nice conversation before. You know, it, it's, it's really amazing, but you know, listening to your story and then looking at your bio and, and your career, because here is a, is a six-year-old that came to the U.S. not speaking a word of English, and then you've been awarded a doctorate of human letters from the Chicago School. You worked for Nike, uh, for Burson Marsteller, among others. You're on the board of the Harvard Latino Leadership Initiative at the Kennedy School. You have received numerous awards. I mean, you are the embodiment of the American dream. And I put that in quotes. And how Latinos contribute to, to the communities. And, um, you know, listening to your story of how difficult it is to adapt. Because many people un underestimate that once you adapt, you, you never forget that you are from somewhere else. But for example, if you look at my story, I was born in Spain, but I came here when I was uh, 13 years old. So now when I go back to Spain, yes, I speak like someone from Spain, but I feel very Latino mm -hmm. because I grew up in Miami. My influence has been Latin. So in school, in high school, I'm from the north of Spain. People would ask me, oh, they're playing Sevillana's song. So this is... This is you, Eva, you're from Spain, so teach us how to dance Sevillanas. Well, in the north of Spain, we don't dance Sevillanas, just for the audience to know. <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like uh, spicy things. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not Peruvian or right. Mexican, I'm Nicaraguan. <laughs> and don't say happy Cinco de Mayo to me. Because <laughs> you're, not, you're not from Mexico. <laughs> not, and, and even Mexicans laugh yeah, at happy Cinco de Mayo. Absolutely, I mean, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's very unique. You know, you've credited your career, and I, I read this somewhere, that on waiting tables. Oh, yeah, that's the So tell us a little bit more about ever. that, because I think that's amazing. Well, first of all, I want to go back to when you talked yeah. about the difficulty. Yeah. Because I was in a position of privilege. I was in a position of privilege to get out of Nicaragua. I was in a position of privilege to get here and be in a school the next day. Mm -hmm. Instead of, I was on a mission with the Catholic Relief Services last year and the border with Nicaragua and Honduras, and I brought my spoiled children with me mm -hmm. to be a part of that. They go to third grade, learn how to read and write. Done. And we're hoping that they get jobs on farms and become entrepreneurs related to the agricultural industry in this, you know, this part of Nicaragua. Um, I was in a position of privilege to get out of Nicaragua. I was in a position of privilege to be able to have an aunt that I can go to, even if it didn't work out. Right. That I could go to a school that we spoke English. So even as an immigrant, there are privileged situations that you have access, knowledge. And so I just want to make that clear. An and, opportunity. And, and opportunity is a privilege, no matter what situation you're in. Um, and I have been privileged all of my life. Um, there's just a responsibility that I believe comes with that at any level, that there's a responsibility. Um, but uh, going back to waiting tables, greatest experience I ever had. I, I, and in fact, everyone I hire has mostly waited tables. That to me is more important than an, a master's or an Ivy League education. Because when I waited tables, and it was, a, by the way, it was an all-you-can-eat seafood restaurant. So I would walk out of that restaurant and cats would follow me around thinking that they smell a fish. Um, I don't know how I got a date during that time. Uh, but it was very rewarding, number one. You do the work you get paid. You walk out with a bunch of bills in your pocket and you can then enjoy the fruits of your hard work. 
you had to learn how to manage and make everyone feel special when you have hundreds of people during a busy Saturday night and everyone needs to feel special. You have to be able to give them what they want without the excuse of, oh, I'm sorry it took so long. The chef messed up your order or I tripped on the way over here or somebody spilled their tray on me. They don't care. They just want their fried shrimp and their hush puppies and their free refills. And in a seafood restaurant, that's all you can eat. There's no ending to it. It's not, I'm going to stop by, say hello, get their drink order, and then come back. No, it's every minute somebody's <laughs> raising their hands. And, and, multitasking. You're not gonna, and your multitasking is very, very important. And the biggest thing for me is the humility. The humility that you're there to serve someone. And, and you're blessed that someone's going to pay you for it. Because normally you serve someone, you don't necessarily get paid for it. And that's a, that's a big lesson for me and for everyone that I have working with me. No one should have a sense of entitlement. The person in front of you if you're, is your client, and you need to make sure that they're getting what they need, and everyone should feel very special. So who are those clients? For me, it's obviously my sponsors, but my stakeholder also, 150,000 15 to 35-year-olds. Mm -hmm. And you should see the emails that I get every single day, and it's overwhelming. The amount of talent that we can tap as a community, the amount of goodwill, the amount of power. When I work at the Hispanic Heritage Foundation and I'm able to do the Hispanic Heritage Awards and walk out at the right. Kennedy Center or on TV with a sign that said, I'm an immigrant, and then flip it to say, I'm an American, um, there is a sense of pride in being an immigrant in this country. There is a sense of patriotism because we weren't born into it. We had to go through some things in order to have that privilege of being an American. And I got emails from so many kids that said, because we actually honored the dreamers as part of that, of that evening. So with Luis Fonsi, with Gael Garcia Bernal and all these other people, we had the dreamers. We found a, like a bunch of them and put them up on stage and, and it was the diversity of dreamers. We had dreamers from Africa. We had dreamers that were um, that that were trans. We had dreamers that were Asian, and of course Latinos. Well, I wanted to make sure that we represented what this is—that it's a communal feeling—because we have to tap into this talent. Absolutely, and it's 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 very sad what is going on, in the sense that everybody agrees that the dreamers should be given the opportunity to stay in the United States and not have to go through that. I mean, I can only imagine growing up here since you're a little child or whatever, 10, 12, it doesn't really matter, six. And then growing up, being, being a good person, being decent, having dignity, right values, contributing to your community, whether you're a doctor or whether you're studying at school, however it is, and then being, having to live and wake up, going to sleep every day and waking up with a sensation that you don't know if you can stay. I mean, that has to be... You feel hunted yes, in this environment. Yes, a terrible feeling. How can you continue to live? What damage are we doing to for something that really makes no sense? And it's not the real issue at the end of the day. We have to really think about that. And I feel very sad that some of my immigrant friends <laughs> sometimes, and if they're listening, they know who they are. I feel very sad sometimes 
that we distinguish ourselves like, like if we would be different from them because somehow we have uh, legal papers or we have a passport or our situation was very different. But I always wonder, what if I was born in a different family? That's right. I would have well, wanted to have given that opportunity. But on the, the, the one thing, though, that narrative, which I appreciate, that these kids are here and that they don't, didn't have a choice and they were here, I understand it, but I don't want to make it look like they're victims either. Of course. They, and I know that. These young people are here to help America move forward. Mm-hmm. When you have a, a gap in terms of technology workers, um, physicians, um, psychologists, nurses, all of these different areas, the entrepreneurs that we need to fill, we have to be able to tap into every resource we have. And these dreamers are a rich source of talent in this country. So beyond the fact that they were brought over here without their own choice, they're not victims. They're part mm-hmm. of the solution. Mm-hmm. So some things that we're doing is we're hosting a dream lab. So we're incubating dreamers' ideas in L.A., based on projects that they have put forth to be able to have social impact. So I want to demonstrate that there is a, a need for dreamers in this country to have and, that and social impact. And we can impact. see that because you have programs like Latinos on Fast Track Network, the STEM uh, project, which is about um, you know people that can contribute in the science, technology, engineering, mm-hmm. and mathematics fields. Code as a second language. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, tell us a little bit more about this program so the audience can learn about them. So on the program side of things, I you play to your strengths. And my strengths are my weaknesses. Um, and so that becomes your culture. Being impetuous, impatient, being uh, anxious about making change, have a naivete that you think everything's easy to change. I was talking with my friend, Eli Murillo, who I just mentioned, and I remember telling her, the reason we're all over the place is because we think we can affect things all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I wish I didn't have that naivete that everything was easy to impact, Mm -hmm. but I really do. So it makes us try things that normally you wouldn't do. We have a thought process here that you focus on the impact and everything else will come and you don't have to be perfect. I am an imperfectionist, a proud imperfectionist. I don't want to do things perfectly. While somebody's trying to figure out how to line everything up, I go in and just do it. And for from the time that my kids were very small, I would tell them, nope, you're not allowed to use an eraser. Go with what you did. What you think is a mistake will take you into adventurous places that you never would have gone into by being cautious. Those are very, very important things. Listen to Thelonious Monk. Look at the way Basquiat drew and painted those are my heroes that's what I want to do is to continue Robert Rodriguez the director you you want to be able to burn the bridge first and then see if you can get across it and that's how our programs work so Coda's second language for instance zero dollars my chairman Emmanuel Pleitas who's a brilliant wonderful guy that was one of the kids in the program when he was a high school student when I met him is now the chair of my organization. So this guy comes up to me and he says, you know, we really should be in the in the tech space. Um, nobody's really doing it in the Latino tech space. Right. Um, I said, okay, what do we do? 
man, look, all this stuff is free. All the, all the curricula is free somewhere online. Somebody really smart created all this stuff, but didn't necessarily figure out how people are going to show up and use it. So let's use that. And then we tapped into our network and we got a bunch of volunteers, including Alberto Avalos, who ended up running the program and we hired him. And we started it in East Los Angeles, in Boyle Heights. And we got a bunch of volunteers to teach computer coding, introduce kids to computer coding. It was only like an hour long jam session. We had music playing, so it was like DJ spinning. <laughs> um, and we had a bunch of volunteers led by Ellie Murillo and, and, and Brendan Chang and all these other people that were at Google. And they said, we love this idea we want to have this as part of google's affinity group which is called ola and we'll start it off by picking 10 markets and we'll do it there and then we added to it without funding again none of this was funded until google gave us a little bit of money to start doing it and then we added other cities because it was just fun to do so we started doing it at howard university um, with the african-american community and we did it in a couple of rural areas and then from there that program is now in over 30 markets all over the country and it's being supported by some of the top companies from Best Buy to Panasonic to Target to the U.S. Army. Um, and it can, now it's an academy. And right. now we're talking about bringing it to Mexico. So that's how ideas can blossom. Mm -hmm. Go into an area, start drawing, right. see where it takes you, and don't use an eraser. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. We figured it out as we went along. And we get the energy from the youth. What's beautiful is that the kids teaching it are kids from our network. So we're creating, creating an actual ecosystem of talent that you don't need to go outside of. And when we do coder summits, if somebody's an entrepreneur, a Latino entrepreneur, they don't have to go outside of our network. They can tap to have programmers within our network or designers and everything else. We are so rich in talent. The value proposition that our community has to offer the United States of America is endless is endless Absolutely. and our my my big belief is that you should walk around all day prepared to be inspired mm -hmm. and moved and mobilized all day long right now you're inspiring me Juan's inspiring <laughs> and that's how I get energy I'm, I'm like a solar car that instead of the sun I get it from meeting people like all of you and 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 your audience that we're talking yes. to Tell us a little bit more about the Hispanic Heritage Awards, because last year you celebrated the 30th anniversary, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's such a phenomenal event, and uh, what are your plans for this year for the awards? Can you tell us? A that is the one thing that I inherited from the organization. All the other programs uh, we, you've we, developed. We developed, yes. Me and a whole lot of people on 17, my team. 17 years later. 17 years later. <laughs> so we've, we've developed all those programs. And before then, I was on the funding side at, at Fannie Mae. And, and we actually helped start the Youth Awards. And then that led into Loft and a lot of other things. But in terms of the Hispanic Heritage Awards, I inherited that from a group of visionaries and uh, people at the White House under Ronald Reagan. And it was Ronald Reagan's administration that turned it into a from a week into a month. And to be able to honor Rudy Becerra, a real hero and community guy that worked at Coca-Cola as one of their top executives for the last 30 years, last year, just before he retired, was wonderful to be able to give back to him and recognize what he did and a lot of other folks there. And then Rick and Elaine, um, Dagan, Bella, you know, that they took it from an event into an organization. So I inherited that part, but um, I've also been able to keep it going and try to improve it. So what we're trying to do is 
honor the top Latino leadership that we can identify through our co-host organizations and again, through that inspiration. But what we don't want is we're not honoring Ricky Martin because he sold a lot of albums or because he's a cultural icon. We're honoring Ricky Martin because of the work that he does in Calcutta with orphans, the work that he does in, in promoting uh, gay pride, um, the work that he does in, in, in Puerto Rico and in working with youth. That's why we, are, we, we honor Ricky. It's a combination of things. Um, or Gloria Stefan, or at some point Celia Cruz, or Tito Puente. These are giants. Um, I, you know, we, Anthony Quinn, Rita Moreno, these are just giants. But also, sneak in there, Jay Balvin, who is an ambassador to goodness in this world. That is such a good guy. And so young people like Becky G um, and others that are part of this were what Pitbull's doing with his schools in terms of trying to teach technology and turning his life around. Those are stories that we want to tell. But mixed in there, the juxtaposition of those celebrities and, and iconic Latino figures, it's important to have community leaders and business leaders and to be able to have um, dreamers be honored along with them, along with Ronald Reagan for the work he did in supporting our community um, at, at, at a time when nobody was really doing that, thanks to the, the leadership that he had within the White House led by Rudy and another guy named named Rudy Bali. Um, so those are, those are really, really important that we maintain that this is the legs that the Latino community stand on isn't just entertainment. It's also in sports. It's also in literature, um, like Juno Diaz or Julia Alvarez and, and Oscar, you know, all these amazing authors that we have. And then, of course, business leaders, educators, Dr. Greer, who's Dr. my Greer. hero that I had dinner with last night. Um, Dr. Greer started Camilla's House here in Miami, got the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the MacArthur Genius Award. He goes under bridges and treats the homeless. Those are his house calls. He is the greatest guy I know. He was the guy who hired me. He was my chairman. I wanted him for life, and he told me it wasn't a Supreme <laughs> Court appointment. Um, the lessons that I learned from that guy to not take things personally. I'll never forget when I had somebody that was being a jerk to me. I was just like, this guy's such a jerk, I can't believe this. And, and I have a fighter mentality in me. And I was just like, I can't, I'm gonna, you know, get all over this guy. And he said, wait a second. And he goes, do you think you're so special? I go, what are you talking about? And he goes, are you that ego-driven that you think you're so special that this guy's only a jerk to you? Or do you think he's a jerk to everybody and you're just one of the millions of people he's a jerk to? Stop taking things personally, focus on the mission. If you're gonna be the justice for everyone that's being treated unkind. He goes, resign right now, pick a pick one block radius and just per, parade, patrol that <laughs> radius. That'll be your full-time right. job for the rest of your of life. Course. You know, and, and he taught me a lot of valuable, valuable lessons. And Lisa Quiroz, who I just, who I was mentioning earlier, toughened me up. She was like, why do you care what anyone thinks about you? She goes, I legitimately don't care if I'm doing the right thing. Um, I, I've benefited from having those around me. But what's interesting, Eva, is that when I get asked who my role models are, my role models are 30 years younger than me. People like Elisa Juarez, who I'm gonna see tomorrow, or people like Adan Gonzalez, or people like Sofia Sanchez Maez, and Tic Chapa, and Linda Moreno, and Eli Murillo. And these are my, and Emmanuel, who's, who's my, he's my chair. 
Right. And that guy was one of our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, Elisa's now on our board. So my role models are 20, 30 years younger than me. I actually believe in youth. Most people don't. Why do you think that most people don't believe in youth? Because they're threatened. If you tell someone you're a leader of tomorrow, you're next generation of leaders. That's some passive aggressive nonsense to say, aguantate. Todavía no. No llegó tu día. Ya llega tu día. Ahorita todavía people are still clinging to relevance. My relevance is through youth. I was on a panel with a bunch of big shots. I was the weak link on this panel, trust me. And they asked everyone what their advice would be to a millennial. And everyone went and said some very wonderful, wise things. And then they came to me and I said, I don't give advice to millennials. I get advice from millennials. And a bunch nice. of kids started standing up. Right. And I said, I'd rather invest in a 16-year-old than a 60-year-old. And I really do mean that. I actually trust youth to lead. In fact, I count on youth to lead. My job is to facilitate, to cheerlead, um, to support them, to connect them. But it's also to get out of their way. That's how I stay relevant. It's not through me. Right. It's through their work. And it's by sharing. I always say that you have to share your knowledge, that you keep it to yourself or your experience. Then it serves no purpose because why are you keeping it to you? I mean, you don't know how life is very short and mm-hmm. unpredictable. So you don't know one day we're sitting here, another day we're not here. So, you know, your legacy at the end of the day is through people. Your right. family, That's exactly right. your colleagues, your friends. I mean, hopefully you've left some great impressions so they keep remembering you. Uh, or that through their actions or experiences, you come to mind. Or they say, oh, you know what? He told me this or she told me that. Like you were talking about, you know, Dr. Greer uh, so passionately. That's how you keep people, I think, alive. Right. Uh, through that. But it's hard because the new generations going into the workforce obviously they're they're you know there's a clash between the older way of doing things and older i mean by the people that have been Mm -hmm. in corporations for so long you were in corporations and this new generation that wants to work things out differently Mm -hmm. and i think it's just maybe i don't know what's your input on this but just combining the two two styles uh, can be challenging for for some people but it's not challenging if you trust them to figure out and do it their own way. I think part of it is that I'm an imperfectionist. They don't need to be perfect. They need to be aggressive. They need to be focused. They need to be con ganas. And that's what's going to make their impact. And we need to be there to say, oh, 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 you're off the ledge here. Let's go in a little bit. Like you said, we give them some guidance because there is something to experience. But you can never take away their time is now. They're not leaders of tomorrow, they're leaders of today. I've always said that some 15-year-old kid with a laptop can reach more people than Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and Cesar Chavez could in a lifetime combined. That is immense power and responsibility and impact. They have to be able to have that impact in their own way. I have arguments with very good friends (laughs) that I appreciate their opinions. They're smarter than I am. But they don't have blind faith in youth. I have blind faith in youth. Because I know what our generation's done. And I know what generations before did. And look at the shape we're in. Mm -hmm. You've got to go in another direction. So I trust them in terms of the kids and the anti 
gun movement that's going on right now, in terms of the dreamer movement. They're going to figure it out in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement and every other movement, the Me Too movement. They're necessary to put people on edge, to let people know that there is a path going forward that hopefully will be more righteous than ours, more driven by impact, more driven by doing the right thing. Um, and I very much appreciate all of those movements. Some will scatter and hit people with shrapnel, but that's part of any movement, the GLBTQ movement. How important is it that we're able to support all of these different movements? And it can't just be Latinos for Latinos. I support my Latino community, but I support the African-American community. I support the female community. I support the GLBTQ community, the Muslim community, the Jewish community. Um, it's important that we, the, the disabled community, Tammy, if you're out there, <laughs> called me out and said, don't forget the disabled community. And she's right. I mean, she, I, I gave, a, I, I was speaking at some event and afterwards she said, I heard you mention all the different underserved communities. How about the disabled? She was right. She was right. So I'm very, very careful that I always mention because whatever <laughs> stuff we all deal with, they're double dealing with it because it cuts across all of the different communities. And that also, I just want to mention that it also includes the Caucasian male community as well. We're doing something right now called Hacking Racism, Bias, and Bigotry on college campuses and high school campuses to, to using the Kiva process that my friend Juan Sepulveda you know, suggested. It's an ancient Native American way of reaching consensus. And it's amazing in terms of 100% participatory. Basically, it's the people in the audience know more than the people in front of the audience. Right, very interesting. It's fabulous. So we've been able to hack at this issue. And the first thing that I thought of was we are not excluding a very integral part of this conversation and giving them a platform and a way to integrate and a way of hearing them. I mean, we're in a mess because we don't listen to each other. And we have to listen to each other with, with open you, ears and with empathy. Uh, with empathy. But we, we have to listen about. and we have, have you know, now when people say, well, at a dinner table, and I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and we we're talking about politics, religion, and we disagree on some issues and quite intensely, but we're able to sit down together and have a conversation and discuss our own principles or our own vision of things with respect. Right. And when I go to a friend's house and they say, well, you know, we don't talk about politics or religion. I think it's a it's a wonderful argument and I respect it. But I also think that we are unable to have to be honest because sometimes people don't want to say what they truly feel like because they don't want to be judged or go into That's the right. wrong side when it's, we're avoiding the res being able to have respectful conversations. So, you know, I, I'm really proactive on, of listening, but mm -hmm. really listening, mm -hmm. not judging. Because if you're going to ask somebody a question or ask their opinion and you start telling them, I don't agree with you, then why do you ask the question? <laughs> That's right. It was to hear yourself talk. Right. <laughs> you know, I want to ask you something because I read... I was doing some research and I read an article that a Princeton student wrote. He's from Venezuela. He came uh, to the United States a year ago. And he says that I've never identified as a Latino until I came to the United States. Growing up in Venezuela and moving directly to Princeton, I have never in my life used or even considered using the term. And then he goes on to say specifically as a Latino here in the U.S., I view the term Latino as problematic 
as it groups together and generalizes people from a region, all of whom have completely distinct cultures, traditions, and forms of speaking, is the individual that should be praised, regardless of race, nationality, or identity. I mean, this is an interesting sentiment. Obviously, this is somebody who just came to the US, is writing this opinion piece. What do you think about this? Because, you know, when I came here, and I remember doing my first uh, SAT exam, I was given the multiple choice option of what am I, Hispanic, white, Latino? I, mean, I, I didn't know what I was. Right. Am I Hispanic? Am I Latino? I am, am I white? I was never given the description. Mm -hmm. And recently I researched on the web, what is the difference between Hispanic and Latino? And there are many misconceptions and everybody seems to have their own idea. I'm throwing a lot of things at you at the no, same time. No, no, I, I think it's 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 a question that I get asked a lot. So yeah. um, let's unpack it in, right. in in different pieces. So you're from Spain, mm -hmm. so you're European. How do you identify? Are you Latino when that actually the term actually kind of excludes people? Right. Um, I always feel as though how do you feel? I, I and the beauty of our community is that it's not exclusive. My wife is is of Filipino descent. My kids will be, and not that obnoxious term that everybody calls Chino Latino. Um, I had never that, heard that. Oh my time. goodness, it's so horrible because it clumps yes. everybody in. Whether you're Chino Korean Latino, or Filipino, <laughs> it's the worst. Our, our community has a lot to learn, and I've al I always believe in confronting our own community first before confronting other people about being because racist, we have to have it homophobes, right. Islamophobes, sexist. <laughs> um, uh, anti-Semites, it's all within our own community first. first. Oh my goodness. Um, but so we span across everything. You can be from the whitest person to the darkest person and be Latino. And that's the beauty of our community. You can be from Spain. I think of you, I think of Jose Andres, the chef, mm -hmm. who's a friend and, and he identifies with the communities that he works with. Right. He's from Spain. Right. But he is a very powerful advocate for immigration, um, for dreamers, for every element of the underserved. And that guy's a real champion and, and, and another, he won our Hispanic Heritage Award as well, and I'm very proud of that. But it's how you identify. The other part of it is, you know, a lot of people from other countries that come here under different circumstances may not view themselves as Latino from El Barrio or from the community. We have to be accepting of everyone. And I said this very passionately. I don't want to hear that you're too white, that you don't speak enough English, that you speak too much Spanish, that you're too dark, that you're too indigenous, that you're too gay, that you're too O'Brien because right. you because you have red hair and your abuelita was <laughs> was from Bolivia. We need to be accepting of everyone that identifies with the Latino community. And that includes somebody that has no Latino blood in them. Um, it's critical that we work. There's this guy named Brand Brendan Chan, who, who's our partner and works at Google. Um, he's not Latino, but he's Latino in his heart. In his heart. And he we, works very yeah. closely with our communities because all he cares about is that he is serving the needs of the underrepresented so that all of us get better and in, and there's an there's a proverb in Africa that if you you can snap a twig but you can't snap a bundle of twigs 
you know, because they're harder to break off. So we need to have that unity that you need to accept people. Now, in terms of the question that you asked me about the, um, the gentleman from Venezuela that went to Princeton, he has to find what his identity is, what he identifies with as he spends time here. If I move to another country or even if I move to another coast, do I feel like a West Coast? How long does it take before I feel like an, a West Coast person? I lived in Portland. I don't know if I ever felt like a West Coast person. I was always an East Coast guy from DC. When I lived in Illinois, I always felt like I was from DC, although I had my Nicaraguan heritage. It's a complicated question and we're trying to do research with youth among identity. If you, if you were lesbian of African descent, who was Puerto Rican, who was a woman, and from Texas, what would you identify? <laughs> if you had to pick one, what would it be? Woman. And, Tex and Texas, ha Texas have a lot of pride, though. There's a lot that'll just say, oh, wait, yes. "I am Texan." Oh my God, Texan. Yes. So, but what would you? But yeah, what I would you pick? No idea to tell you the truth. But that's I a powerful question, isn't it? Yeah, it is very powerful, and I think that you know what you're pointing out is you know when I when I read something like that, it kind of more than anything it got me thinking, you know. Um, if we don't, I think that collaborating and working together is much more powerful than just trying to belong right. uh, because of what is cool. So obviously when I was in high school, being from Spain was really, really cool because Julio Iglesias is from Spain and he was the coolest guy living in Miami back then. So And his son ended <laughs> his up son. being pretty cool too. Well, we went to school together, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. it helped. But at that moment, neither he or I, nobody was, was we knew what where life was going to take us. But I didn't, I, I was more perplexed by the, by the options of the question than by identifying myself. I mean, today I can tell you that I feel very, I feel I'm a Latina mm -hmm. or Hispanic or mm -hmm. whatever it is, but I'm very close to the Latin roots because I have so many friends and that's the privilege of living in, in Miami mm -hmm. for so many years because it has exposed me to amazing people from different cultures and I know so much from so many countries. But of course I'm European and I'm from also from Spain. So the typical Uber Lyft question is, where are you from? Well, how many minutes do you have yeah, to listen exactly. to my answer? And, that, and, and, and <laughs> um, you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez once said, I write about Latin America, I write about Latin America because there's so much to write about and we're complex. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very powerful that we can each have our own personal identities. It should be that personal. Mm -hmm. Nobody should be called a sellout because they don't identify. Mm -hmm. We need everyone to be part of this collective energy. But I will say there is, when you come to the Hispanic Heritage Awards, and I would love for you to come as my I guest. I would love, thank you so much. You I will be in that. that in that theater. And when you're in this energy, you're going to feel very Latino. And and it is a mix of every different culture and ambassadors and Justice Sotomayor and kids and, and everyone that's in there represents part of being Latino. It's a mosaic. It's a little piece. Everyone matters in the little pieces that, they, that they're a part of. Everyone's a star. Everyone's unique. But in this big, huge sky... We all represent an important part of the overall universe, and we have to feel that 
that pride. And we are people, so I mean, who knows experience of everyone coming uh, from other countries here. I only know that in a in moment of crisis or of difficulty or of sickness or illness or whatever it is, we're just people. You know, when when we are in a situation of of I don't know any situation that is difficult then we forget about language mm -hmm. and we forget about everything because we need to survive. Unless you're my mother uh, who well. didn't speak much English and when she was dying, we could not find nurses that spoke Spanish to help her. Right. We could not find physicians and others that were able at the hospice that were able to make her feel more comfortable by being culturally relevant, which is the importance of if you have it in you, to represent your community in everything you do, because there's a need. It doesn't mean it has to make you singular and a one-issue person, but I personally feel a very strong sense of responsibility, and I know a whole lot of people that do, that want to make sure that we are represented in a lot of different ways, because whether you're from Venezuela, like that gentleman was, whether you're from Spain, whether you're from Nicaragua, whether you're from Mexico, whether you're from... Argentina, wherever you're from, right now, in this time, you're being all lumped in. Right. And we have to define what that definition of a Latino or a Hispanic or whatever you want to call it, you whatever you identify with is. Because someone defines you, you've got a problem. And that's happening right now. And we need to know what it is because, again, I go in the web. Well, we know what see, it is, right? But, <laughs> but a lot of. But people, we have to define we, it. We have to define it, but but there's a lot of misuse. But you know, that's why. And that's why I would implore that yeah. gentleman to define it in his own in way. In his own way. And I think he did by that that op-ed that you cited. Yeah. Yeah. But all of us need to define what a Latino is, yes. and there's got to be a sense of pride. And I'll I'll I'll. But share. also, don't walk away from your community because at the end of the day. We all need to help each other. Probably that person is being benefited by things that many people many years ago worked really hard as a community to achieve. There are many opportunities in place today because other people worked together for them. Right. So today we're not doing any service to our legacy right. of those people by, by going opposite directions, you know. But Even again, it's personal. His point. Of course, it's personal. Absolutely. If somebody doesn't feel compelled, that's fine. I'll do twice as much to make up for it because I am very compelled that yeah. we are at a point right now that we have to protect ourselves, that we have to promote ourselves, and that we have to move forward. And this country, this beautiful country, is tied to how the Latino community does because just from the sheer numbers. The better we do as a community, the better the United States of America does it as a country. It contributes to everything. And, it and, contributes to everything. And you work with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, mm -hmm. and you work to promote a lot it. Of them. This, you know, place these young kids uh, and, and we place them into jobs and a position. And again, yeah. they have a responsibility to know because if a Latino to a lot of people is going to represent everyone they've ever seen on TV, everyone they've ever heard about in the news. If you mess up, you represent the entire Everybody community. I think it's up. the same way with the African-American community and with women, I think. Right. Um, but somebody else can mess up 10 times and it's just like, oh, they just messed up. Mm -hmm. They don't represent their entire community. Absolutely. No. We represent everyone. 
that they've ever met and that they're ever going to meet. And so yeah. there's an additional sense of responsibility. You have to represent the community in everything you do, not just your family, not just your neighborhood. Um, you represent Latinos. So whether you identify with it or not, at some point, you will be identified as a Latino. As a Latino. And, and that so, is okay. <laughs> and it is wonderful because we need everyone's help. And along with other groups that we need to support our community as well in the same way that we need to. Right. We need a lot of education, but we also need a lot of support from each other. I always finish the podcast with um, a phrase of, yes, you can, because I really like it. You know, my story didn't finish college, didn't you know, study journalism, business. I mean, and I had an amazing opportunity in life to, you know, get involved in in. You're magazines. an imperfectionist. Too. I am a total imperfectionist. <laughs> All the people that have worked with me will tell you that I'm too much of a perfectionist and that I have to learn. No, I have had to learn. learn. That's the biggest lesson of the 150,000 kids that are in our network that are between 15 and 35. This kid, I just had this conversation with this young woman who is in her late 20s, Christine Nieves. You got to look her up. Mm -hmm. She is in Puerto Rico. She is in Umacao region where the, the eye of the storm hit in Puerto wow. Rico. She is feeding. 500 people a week through a communal kitchen. They are building out through solar ways of, because they still don't have any power, of being able to watch movies because come six o'clock, everything is dead. They're building out schools and ways of dealing with the mental health of these communities and everything else. She's amazing. And the biggest thing, I brought her into DC. She stayed at my house, hung out with, with me for a full 10 days or something. And the biggest thing I kept telling her was, Stop trying to make things perfect. Stop trying to control stuff. Be an imperfectionist. And, yeah, and I know. that's it's, the biggest lesson to these kids. I think that probably that's the best <laughs> advice. But you know, I've heard you talk about responsibility. And there's this quote that I always use at conferences. Uh, and, you know, even when I was working at uh, the company that I headed for, for many years, and it's that it was with with power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I love that quote because it embodies a lot of things. People want power and many times they want to be successful and they want to reach the top. But you can't forget that there is, like you have said in this podcast, a big responsibility uh, in the way. What's beautiful is that everyone can have some sort of power by doing the responsible things. So I don't care if you're someone that's working on a construction site. If you're able to go home and be a productive, set a good example, pick up, I don't care if you're walking through a park and you see a piece of garbage on the floor, you have power when you pick up that piece of garbage and throw it away. Right. So I don't think it's, I think of it bigger than the traditional sense of you're a leader of industry, you're a CEO, you're mm -hmm. a president of something, you have your own podcast. I think it's every human being, I don't care if they're a child, if they do the right thing, they're going to be able to have an impact in Absolutely. that moment. And what does that moment look like? Dr. Greer always told me, uh, integrity is what you do when nobody's mm -hmm. looking. Um, there's a power in, in having some sort of an impact, even if it's picking up a piece of paper, even if it's showing up at someone's house because they're elderly and they can't mow their lawn and mow their lawn mm -hmm. and just don't just, even let yeah. them know you do it. Exactly. Um, my mom, when she was dying, since we were talking about that, once told me, I want you to be a good man, hijito. And I said, Mom, I am a good man. <laughs> I've never been, you know, I've never been in jail. 
I've never hit a woman. I've never, I don't get drunk and, and I, I don't do drugs. I, I'm a good man. She goes, you just described an average man. What, you want to get credit for things that you're supposed to do? Have you lowered the bar so low that just by doing the things you're supposed to do, you think you're good? I want you to be a good man. And I said, well, what does that mean, mommy? Because what that means is when you're married, because at that time I wasn't married, and you're, you come home from work and you're starving and you've been thinking about this piece of cake that you saved for the last two days to eat as you come home on this particular day. And your wife says, hey, hon, is that cake still in there? And you give it to her without telling her that you had been wanting it. Or when you have a child, and this one's very important, and your child and your, your wife is exhausted and she falls asleep and you wake up in the middle of the night to put that baby to sleep, put it back in its crib and then crawl in next to your wife and don't tell her that you do it, that's being a man. And I... This is a lesson for everybody listening. Really, it's, it's, it's been great talking to oh, you. Oh, thank I you very much. I'm, I can't, I'm blessed no, no. to be able to have this you know opportunity. You know what? I, I, I can't wait for your podcast. <laughs> I don't I'll know have what, fun. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But also, we need to continue to have this conversation. It's been really incredible to meet you. To I mean, even reading the work that you do, working with young people, but also you have inspired me. Uh, during you know this conversation, um, and I live here with um, incredible moments. I want to play this podcast to my niece and nephew, um, and I encourage everyone to share it with with people so we can continue to work together. And yes, I am a Latina, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Dale. <laughs> Thank, Thank you for you. everything you do. Thank you.